Homo habilis, Homo erectus, and Homo sapiens. After thousands and thousands of years of evolution, we have a new discovery. Home sapiens has always been around. Places where we live are key to humans. From caves to huts, and from houses to modern villas, our homes have been evolving with us. Is home sapiens fiction or reality? It is up to you to decide. Climate change affects all areas of our daily lives. Recent study published by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the United Nations body for assessing the science related to climate change, says that climate change is already affecting every inhabited region across the globe with human influence contributing to many observed changes in weather and climate extremes. Global surface temperature has increased faster since 1970 than in any other 50-year period over at least the last 2,000 years. Global mean sea level has risen faster since 1900 than over any preceding century in the last 3,000 years. This undoubtedly affects the way we live. Evidence of observed changes in extremes such as heat waves, droughts, and tropical cyclones has increased. Global surface temperature will continue to increase until at least the mid-century under all emission scenarios considered. Global warming of 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees Celsius will be exceeded during the 21st century. Do our homes need to change or has the process already started? This and much more in the first episode of season two of our Home Sapiens podcast with our speaker, Basim Nebil. Basim is director of Central and Eastern Europe and Commonwealth of Independent States at Habitat for Humanity. And my name is Katerina Bezgatschina, and I'm director of communications for Europe, Middle East and Africa at Habitat for Humanity. And I'll be your host for this season of Home Sapiens podcast. Hi, Basim. Nice to have you with us. Hi, Katya. Thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, that's great to have you with us. And it's great that we can talk about the subject of climate change. I think it's quite important. And I want to start by asking you, um, has the way we build houses changed over the last 10 to 50 years? And if it has changed, in what way? I think it has dramatically changed uh, in the course of the 20th century several times, but uh, even more significantly so in the, in the last 50 years. Um, I think houses tend to be much larger in average. I'm talking about averages, obviously. Uh, and, and they are, you know, have a bigger footprint. They have more rooms. They have more space. And it is all in line with what you just uh, gave as a... Uh, intro to this, we consume more. Therefore, we need more space. We need more space to cook. We need more space to heat. We need more space to uh, have our car in the garage, which was not the case previously. We have, uh, you know, habits, behaviors, and patterns which are very new, and they cost uh, both energy, but also they cost uh, space. So, our, yeah, I, I see that, our, you know, we consume more now, we use more things, we need more space, we kind of tend to grow and grow and grow. And uh, if we look at climate change and um, 
we talk about high climate change. How is it is it influencing? So we see how it, it has influenced housing, but has it also influenced the housing industry and in what way? Uh, well, I mean, first, it has influenced uh, the way that uh, construction is, is, is made. I think there is more emphasis to resilience. Uh, it affects uh, real estate market. It, it, it affects cost. It affects insurance, it affects uh, construction techniques and materials, uh, and the entire thought process really that goes into the into building uh, uh, the environment, but also settlements, not just individual houses. Uh, unfortunately, it is affecting negatively the vulnerable groups, right? Because we're talking here about segments of the population that have enough uh, ability to access uh, market systems, uh, you know, basically to buy a house, go, uh, you know, work with the real estate market on commercial terms, purchase a house, and, you know, that house would be probably more resilient and uh, better uh, equipped to to be, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, addressing situations of risk, which are which are which are coming from the increased temperature because basically climate risk is the risk that we have from increased weather of uh, of one uh, Celsius degree which you which you mentioned in the introduction and all kinds of uh, you know uh, various uh, uh, types of uh, weather related hazards such as fires uh, floods uh, you know you name it. So basically, uh, who are the vulnerable people you're talking about? These are the people who have low incomes, so the poor who are affected more by the whole situation than the rich. Exactly. I think that's the, that's exactly the case. As you're saying, the, the poor uh, and the lower income you are, your housing seems to be less resilient uh, to any of these risks. And uh, that is because, you know, obviously you have less access uh, to, to, to proper housing uh, settlements. And also within your micro community, you, you tend to live in a community which is uh, uh, less uh, resilient. You know, it has worse pavements, it has le- worse elevation, it has uh, worse uh, uh, circumstances in terms of uh, statics. In terms of construction, in terms of uh, you know the state uh, of maintenance and management of the neighborhood, but also of the property in which you live. So yeah, definitely, the more vulnerable you are uh, in terms of economic uh, terms, then you're you tend to be uh, more prone or in a in a higher risk in terms of your housing uh, uh, situation. And um, if we are talking about housing, so we have described the climate change situation that we have the extreme weather conditions, uh, the global warming, the temperature is going to increase. And uh, of course, there are a lot of factors that contribute to that. But how is housing contributing to climate change? Do we have evidence that actually housing is contributing a lot to climate change and how we can decrease its impact on housing? Well, I mean, uh, I think it's a well-known and publicized fact that about 40% of the greenhouse gas emissions come from buildings. 
and uh, obviously housing happens in buildings. So in that way, uh, housing is an outsized contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. And therefore, you know, probably together with the, I mean, because the other buildings are public buildings and industrial buildings, but, you know, a lot of the activity and a lot of the, the, the burning, the cooling, the heating happens in the housing sector. And in that way, obviously housing is a, is a you know, huge contributor to, to global warming but also not more importantly it is it is it is important to, to point that a lot of the negative aspects of uh, of emission are not only greenhouse gas housing does in various circumstances uh, contribute uh, through different local pollution uh, uh, emissions such as NO particles, SO particles, uh, PM particles, etc., which are a significant factor in uh, the quality of air and you know, pose a big health, a public health hazard. So it is obviously quite important to look at housing, and I wonder why this hasn't been surface to you know on top of this debate about climate change because we are, when we are talking about climate change a lot of people are talking about um, nature preservation or cleanup of oceans removal of plastic but uh, there are not quite a lot of conversations about housing and how to address um, climate change and how to decrease influence of housing on climate change. Well, not to point fingers, I think there is awareness of the fact that if you don't uh, address uh, housing, there will not be uh, possible to, to, to sustainably uh, address climate change. I think it's been left uh, to the bottom of the order of priorities, probably because it's more complex than uh, than any other measure in any other sector. First of all, a lot of the housing is private. Uh, secondly, it is costly. Thirdly, I think you need to work with many different stakeholders in the spectrum. You need to do a lot of facilitation. You need to do a lot of convincing. You need to work with the government. You need to work with the public opinion. You need to work with the local government, with the state government. Uh, and then with uh, the homeowners, which are basically at the center of this. And I think this, especially this part, the last part, working with homeowners, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, not everybody takes up that mission. Yeah, so it's quite difficult and quite complex to address. And uh, I want to ask you, Basim, one more question. Uh, now we hear a lot of uh, conversations, a lot of things are being discussed about energy efficiency of buildings. Um, so how is it connected? So what is energy efficiency and how it is connected with housing and why it is important to look at energy efficiency of buildings? I mean, to go to your first question, uh, last 50 years, a lot of the house construction was massive, fast, especially in Eastern Europe, prefabricated, uh, in uh, done uh, basically to house big segments of the population who were moving from the countryside to the newly established urban centers, especially 60s, 70s, 80s. When they were built, they were built with very little or any attention to uh, their energy features, primarily because at that time energy was cheap and was socialized. Right. So, so, uh, and, you know, it was available. So, so I think that created a big, uh, housing stock, which is very inefficient. And what, what it means inefficient, it means it burns, uh, more, um, energy than it should 
for heating, cooling, lighting, and cooking uh, within the household. And by more than it should, it means, you know, it's basically highly inefficient. It spends sometimes 100% or more than it should if it was built to the technical standards of modern uh, sort of environmental greenhousing that we have today. So basically the effort in this is to retrofit the, the building stock in a way that the old buildings perform energy-wise like the ones that we build now, like the most modern, the most advanced uh, buildings, building them to at least the sea level, uh, making them at least sea level of uh, 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 energy consumption. And is it possible to do it? I mean, how is it possible to make an old house that was built from old prefabricated inefficient materials? Uh, how is it possible to turn that building into something that is going to be sustainable and energy efficient? Well, this conundrum has two sides. One is technical and the other one is uh, organizational, societal, you know, pulling it together. The technical part is relatively easy, Katya. I mean, there are technologies which are uh, very accessible and they are not even new. They've been around for 20 years or more, some of them. And, you know, with a combination of different technologies, you can uh, decrease, uh, you know, sort of the leakage of heat from the facade of the of the building or from the roof or, or from the windows, you know, by basically replacing the old facade, roof and uh, window uh, and some of the installations in the house. And by that you can save, and we do that as habitat in many countries, you can save up to 60-70% of energy sometimes. Uh, in, in, in average case, you would save 30% or 40%. If you translate that to savings, they are huge. So you imagine all of the House, housing stock was refurbished, it would be spending 30 or 40% more or less than it's spending now with having the exact same room temperature and comfort and functionality. So this is the technical aspect of the, it's, it's, it's doable. Uh, but going back to my previous answers, it's very complex. So that's why it's not done at scale or it's done less than in any other sector. Uh, we take Slovakia, it has one of the highest rates of renovation of multi-apartment buildings. It's about 50%, and it, we use it as a best practice, but it's still 50% are not uh, renovated. And that's because, you know, basically you need to do a lot of social facilitation within this ecosystem of uh, tenants, homeowners, laws, regulations, government subsidy, uh, state subsidy, uh, bank loan, uh, energy policy, housing regulations, all of these need to come together. And usually nobody is there to facilitate that this comes together. So there is not what you call uptake. Even if there are loan products and possibility to renovate your facade, it still needs somebody to organize the process. And that person, if 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 they are missing, or that you know that those institutions, if they are missing, then nothing happens. Yeah, I see. So it it goes down to human beings, and it's quite difficult to work with people to organize them to involve all the different actors in this uh, from this system to do something. And, and just if we are talking about energy efficiency, so obviously it's quite complex and it's quite difficult to do uh, to do it. Are there any tips that can be given to homeowners? You know what they can do on them, you know, by themselves, or is there anything they can do to start thinking about energy efficiency of their buildings and to improve uh, to make it better? 
I think uh, main thing they that that happens that we see is that homeowners, if they get organized uh, and and work collectively well, they um, create a process of uh, maintaining and managing the, their own property and of decision making. So they are working you know, well with their neighbors. I think that's the most important thing. When that happens, you, you can almost uh, be assured that there will be uh, improvement of the, you know, both of the features because some of the saving of energy is not even dependent on, its, uh, on investment. Some are just behavioral, just by having more awareness and more information and by having a better understanding of where you use unnecessarily energy. Okay, so... Basically, homeowners need to start thinking about it themselves and uh, they need to organize themselves into associations and try to do something about their buildings. Yes. I think it's going to be very topical this winter, especially since the energy prices are going to go up. And I think there will be an incentive for homeowners to think about energy use in their buildings and trying to reduce the energy bills that they're going to get this winter. Yes, uh, about uh, 10% of the population of the European Union spends more than 40% of their disposable income on a housing cost. And a lot of that is energy cost. So uh, there is significant proportion of the population which cannot afford uh, heating uh and, and the other, you know, uses of energy like cooling and, and uh, the other purposes at, uh, at the affordable price, right? We call that uh, condition energy poverty. So they live in energy poverty. It goes up to, you know, in some member states of the European Union, it goes up to a third of the population. I think Greece would be such an example. So uh, this winter, we are all going to have probably higher energy bills because uh, energy prices are definitely going to go up. And uh, do we have any practical tips, you know, what people can do to reduce uh, their energy usage in the household? Uh, I think within our project activity and generally we, we work with uh, homeowner associations and individual tenants to change behavior through so-called low uh, cost but high impact measures such as uh, you know using different uh, light bulbs using different uh, patterns and regimes of uh, heating uh, which are connected with you know cycles of heating during the day uh, various uh, you know switches which are uh, not which are efficient, uh, differences in sort of um, way in which pricing is done by uh, consumption-based pricing. So here we, we also sometimes work with the homeowner associations or with the supply side to uh, do 100% metered consumption because that incentivizes saving. You know, when, you, when, you, when your uh, bill is not connected with how much you actually heat your apartment in winter, then you tend to be less uh, uh, careful about your uh, consumption patterns. So I think connecting your behavior with economic rewards, in this case, economic reward is to save energy because you just get to, to pay less, is an important factor in this. Uh, but also actually generally working with the homeowners of the fact that there is a direct 
connection between how they behave within their household and in the apartment with uh, how much money they will spend uh, for for their energy bill, I, I think generally gives a, gives a saving. Most people don't think about energy on a daily basis. It's not a it's not at the forefront of our <clears throat> conversations as a society or as neighbors, as family, uh, as friends, etc. And uh, it's it's viewed as a technical topic, right? And and I think. Uh, it is our approach to basically connect it with everyday life. So therefore, we use uh, terms like heating, warm homes, uh, comfort. Uh, but I, I think generally it also relates to uh, uh, economy because, uh, you know, it's, it is uh, the single highest bill in the family economy, during, especially during winter. So I think from November to February, we will feel that. As you said, this uh, winter will be probably the price hike period for for the energy. That's uh, that's what uh, is being uh, discussed widely and expected. And I think we will need to um, <clears throat> alleviate this condition, and as, especially they disproportionately affect the poor because uh, they contribute with higher percentage of disposable income in the family budget. Yeah, so it's uh, our budgets are going to feel that. And at least if we can't do anything else, we can uh, save some energy by switching off light if we don't use it or using the light-saving bulbs in your home. So let's think about simple things we can all do to make our homes um, comfortable, but at the same time, not uh, to put a lot of burden on our purses and our income so that we spend a fortune on all these things. And maybe just one last question that I always ask uh, when we are having this podcast. Uh, it, it's a more personal question for you, Basim. Uh, what does home mean to you? Uh, what do you think about uh, when you hear the word home? Well, first of all, it's the place, the single place where you spend the most time uh, during the day and during your life. So it's basically where you create uh, uh, most of your feelings, where you live through most of your feelings, where you have most of the events happening to you, uh, where you hear good news, bad news, sad news, happy news, where you celebrate together with your family uh, and friends, where you uh, watch football sometimes on the TV if you're into sports, uh, organize a dinner, a birthday party, uh, <clears throat> have even when you use your computer, uh, you're, you're at home. These days, it's also the place where most people work from. Uh, so it's become also a, a, a working station, a, a employment place so i think for me it is uh, uh the the single most important place if we talk about physical space uh, thank you very much basim so if you want to learn more about energy efficiency how housing can contribute uh, to climate change and how we can actually decrease its impact on climate change uh, do join our europe housing forum uh, that is organized by Habitat for Humanity. Uh, the forum will take place from November 16th until November 19th. It will be an online free event. 
And uh, the Europe Housing Forum aims to bring together housing sector players to learn, collaborate and position housing as a key driver of sustainable cities and economic growth. So uh, we'll very much look forward to having you at the Europe Housing Forum. Do join it. And uh, I want to thank you, Besim, for this lovely conversation. And thank you for listening to the Home Sapiens podcast. Home matters to humans. You've listened to the Home Sapiens podcast, produced by Habitat for Humanity.